Hey, welcome to the Fusion ATL podcast. This is Pastor Vance. If you're not familiar with Fusion, we are the Young Adult Ministry for Victory World Church in Norcross, Georgia. We meet every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Fusion ATL. I hope you enjoy this message and we look forward to seeing you soon. Hello. Good evening, Fusion. It's good to see you guys. It's good to see you guys. Maybe somebody online is paying attention. It's good to see you online. Man, this is still the best place to be on a Tuesday night. And I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Man, we have had uh, a phenomenal few weeks here. Just at Fusion and at the church as a whole, our entire church has been in a series called Explicit. And man, if you have not been a part of our weekend services, I highly encourage you to go back and check out uh, the messages because they were, they've been phenomenal. Uh, here at Fusion, we've been talking over the last few weeks about the life of Samson, right? And we had Pastors Israel and Sonia Piotr last week, and it was just, man, just great. And so if you haven't heard any of those messages, I highly recommend you go and check that out, whether you're watching online or you're here in the building. I highly recommend that. Uh, we're going to wrap this up tonight, wrap up this series tonight with uh, a slightly different direction, but it's still building on what we've been talking about. What we've learned about Samson is that he was living a sinful lifestyle. Like we've been examining this. Samson was called to be the leader of Israel. He actually was the judge of Israel in the time after uh, Moses and then Joshua passed, the leadership in Israel was handed over to judges that were called by God and led by God. And Samson was one of the judges and he actually led Israel for 20 years. But uh, from what we've learned, <laughs> Samson was not the greatest leader. He was not a leader of high character, of high integrity. Um, and so we really learned a lot more about what not to do by looking at Samson's life. That's, that's what I started off the series saying, like, all right, as we dive into this story, as we dive into the life of Samson, it's more of a lesson on what not to do, how not to live your life than it is on how to live your life. Because Samson had a great purpose. Each and every one of us has a, has a great purpose, a very important purpose. Uh, but Samson let a lifestyle of sin and straying away from God keep him from living out the fullness of his purpose. And if we want to live out the fullness of our purpose, we got to do things a little different. Amen? Okay. You guys are a little low energy uh, tonight. Okay. There we go. There we go. There we go. I know we were soaking for a while, you know, in, in worship. But man, you know, we, we ain't here now. But um, so... As I mentioned, man, Samson, we were learning pretty much what not to do. And last week with Pastors Israel and Sonia, we contrasted Samson and David. And there were two different heart postures, two different lifestyles with two very different results. And we learned that Samson was destroyed in his pursuit of the intensity of sin, while David was firmly established in his life and in his legacy in his pursuit of intimacy with God. They had two different things they were going after in life. And I would 
present to you that we have two different roads that we can go down in life. Sin is just rebellion from God. Sin is just doing our own thing. Sin is not living according to the word of God, according to the boundaries that God has set, um, and according to God's desires. But the other path is the path of life, the path of just living out the life that God wants us to live, living according to his ways. And we see, if you just look at the two lives of these people, uh, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with David, but is, would anybody in here prefer to have an, the outcome that David had over the outcome that Samson had? I would, right? So Samson, uh, he, he died with his eyes gouged out and a building falling on him. David actually reigned as king, and though he wasn't perfect, he did so much. Uh, for the kingdom and God honored him. God gave him and he God said that he was going to give David an everlasting dynasty that he would always have somebody on the throne. And ultimately that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ coming through the lineage of David and Jesus Christ is king forever. And so David always has an heir on the throne because the son of God came through his lineage. Man, I want a life like that. Where after I'm gone, my relationship with God is still echoing into eternity. It's still affecting people and impacting people. Man, David wrote the Psalms. Can you, like, I need us to just lean into this for a second. This was somebody going about their everyday life. This was not, I'm going to write the book of Psalms for the Bible. That wasn't his goal. There was no Bible. There were collections of inspired writings, but it was not the Bible as we know it. But David, just out of the genuineness of his relationship with God, wrote the Psalms. When he was going through really difficult things, he was writing about God, about the character of God, crying out to God, still pursuing intimacy with God and closeness with God. When he was greatly blessed, he was writing uh, psalms of celebration and thanksgiving to God. We just see this relationship of closeness throughout the scriptures, especially with David. There was something special about his life that God really honored. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't like compare myself and my life to like the like y'all like I'm not like looking at you guys like man how you know how are we doing you know in our Christianity I'm looking at the Bible when I'm evaluating my life and that's where I'm saying with Samson you can learn some things not to do but with David David challenges me just off writing Psalms alone Like, if you think about your relationship with God and how much you've invested in ministering to God and about God, if you think about how much you've done, then you look at just the book of Psalms. It's like, there's not much comparison. Now, mind you, this is why he's fighting wars, being a whole king. And he documents like his whole life. We have Psalms before he becomes king, while he's going through struggles, while he's on the run for his life. He's still writing to the Lord, connecting with God, sending up prayers to God and wanting to live 
with a genuine relationship with God. That's the difference. And I feel like, man, if we're if I started off the series saying it's not about just going away from something, we have to be going towards something. If you're going to stay away from something, you have to be going towards something. And for me, what kept me away after just being way more Samson than David, I was way more Samson out here. And what what kept me when I fully decided to commit myself to God, what kept me was what I was moving toward. Man, when I got a taste of intimacy with God, when I got a taste of hearing the voice of God, of hearing him speak to me, of feeling his presence, I didn't want that to go away. And I had something that, I, that it was going to cost me to go sin. And man, I think that if we want to live lives like David and not lives like Samson, there's a major key that we have to understand. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. There's a key. There's something that we desperately need if we're going to live lives of purpose, if we're going to be close with the Lord, if we're actually going to like live out the fullness of what God has for us. There is a key. You guys want to know what it is? Tonight's message is titled Guard Your Heart. Guard your heart. You clapping now. I hope you're still clapping when we get into it. Guard your heart. And we're not talking about romantically. Because a lot of times we apply this scripture romantically. It's not necessarily talking about anything romantic. But we're going to dive into it tonight because I really do believe that this is the key to walking down that narrow road that leads to life. Amen. So, man, let's pray and then we're going to dive into it. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to get to know you, to read your word. Lord, open up our eyes tonight, Lord. There are some things that we don't know about you. There are some things that we don't understand. All of us can be closer to you than we are right now. So, Lord, start stirring a desire in us right now, even if we haven't been feeling it, even through worship, even through our day. Father, I pray that you would be stirring a desire in every single person right now, Lord, to to put down distractions, whether watching online or here in the building, to put down distractions, Lord, and to open up their ears to you, open up our eyes to you, God, to give you an opportunity to speak life into us, to give us direction for our lives. Lord, we know that you have keys, keys, Lord, and you have purpose for us. You have something important for us. You have important things for us. You have impact for us, influence for us. Lord, you created us for a reason. And if we don't, if we don't get this piece right here, we can't live that out. And so we know that it's your desire that we have the wisdom that we need. We know it's your desire that we get this revelation, Lord. So make this plain to us, Lord. Explain it to us in our spirit, Lord, so that we don't walk out of here confused, Lord, but we walk out of here knowing what to do in our pursuit of you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're actually going to be reading from Ezekiel tonight. And I'm excited about it. Uh, This was during a time, hundreds of years after Samson, the Israelites were in exile, meaning they had been after, you know, they were given the promised land, you know, brought out of Egypt, led through the wilderness, finally arrived in the promised land. And God gave them clear instructions how to operate when they got there. He's like, stay committed to me. Stay close to me. Don't 
Start acting like these other nations that are going to be surrounding you. Don't conform to their patterns and their ways. Don't start worshiping their gods. Don't take on their customs. I've called you apart to be close to me. Stay devoted to me. You will be my people. I will be your God. I've set you apart for myself to be my people. And so I want to bless you. I'm going to bless the work of your hands. I'm going to increase you guys financially. I'm going to increase your lineage. I'm going to make you guys a great people just because I want to and I love you. And what I want in return is commitment. Can you guys guess what the Israelites did? They didn't do it. They did not commit, much like most of us who know that God's called us who know that there's a purpose for our lives, who know that God has good things for us, who know that God wants to bless us, but somehow we still find ourselves doing exactly what he told us not to do, being like the world around us, pursuing what the world is pursuing, worshiping the things that they're worshiping, being influenced much more by influencers than by Christ. Who's influencing you? Because that was their struggle. It was the influence. God had shown them all these things, done all these miracles, blessed them in so many ways and showed himself to be powerful. The reason they were in the promised land is because he led them in battle when they were not the strongest army. Some of you guys, the reason why you're here tonight is because God brought you through some things that you wouldn't have been able to get through on your own. Amen. God helped you to avoid things that you didn't even know were coming at you. God slayed Goliaths in your life. God freed you from captivity and bondage of sin. But man, somehow we still have this fight for our hearts. And God was patient with them, patient with them, kept telling them, turn from your ways, turn from your ways, turn from your ways, repent, repent, turn from your ways, turn back to me, turn back to me. I'm not playing with y'all, turn back to me. (laughs) But they wouldn't listen. They didn't take him seriously. So, Finally, God is like, okay, I've had enough. Y'all got to pay for this because this is, this is crazy. And it was bad. They were sacrificing their children. Because when he said, like, don't copy the nations around you, it wasn't just like, oh, don't wear long sleeve shirts, wear short sleeve shirts. It wasn't like that. It was, no, they do some vile things. They're sexually immoral. They just do whatever with their bodies. They sacrifice their children to these false gods. All this crazy stuff. And the Israelites started doing the same stuff. So finally, he's like, look, I got to save you guys from yourselves. And this has to be paid for. And so I'm about, you guys, you guys didn't realize. See, this is what a lot of people don't realize is, When you want to step outside of the boundaries of God, you're also stepping outside the covering of God. When you say, hey, I want to do my own thing. I don't need God. I don't believe in that. Somebody else wrote that. 
That wasn't God. Okay. But then when things get bad, you're reaching out to that same God that somebody made up. And you want him to respond. You want him to be alive then. He's been alive the whole time. And this is what the problem was with the Israelites is they weren't taking him seriously, no matter what he had done for them. And they wanted to continue to step outside the boundaries. So he's like, okay, you're stepping outside the boundaries. Now you're about to step outside the covering and see what happens. Because there have been nations that been wanted this land. That wanted what I gave you. Enemies that you have that have wanted to attack you that I've been protecting you from. But you could do this on your own, right? You got this figured out. You got rich on your own. You're self-made. You were just grinding, right? Okay, okay. You got a lot of wisdom. I see y'all out here. You know you're building your brand and all that. Okay. And you want to forget about me. Like I didn't do all this. Like I didn't cause the crops to grow up out the ground. Like I didn't create the ground that you walk on. Like I didn't put the breath that you breathe in your lungs. And so, okay, you're going to experience what it's like to be outside of the covering of God. And so they were taken captive, dragged out of Israel, dragged into other nations, Babylonian captivity, the Babylonian exile. Babylon, this empire, took over, took over Israel, destroyed the temple, just ransacked the whole place. And now they're scattered. And at this time, God is like, okay, if you guys are tired of living like Samson, I want to show you how to live like David. And so we find ourselves in Ezekiel 36, verse 22 through 23. God says to Ezekiel, therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you've gone, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. So the first thing that I would like to point out before we even get into the rest of it is just this piece right here. God is starting out by explaining why he's even about to help them. And he's saying it's not because you deserve it, but because I love everyone and I have a concern for my reputation because you guys are supposed to be my people and you guys are out here looking bad because of your decisions. But because you guys are looking bad out here, it makes me look bad because the nations who are looking on you think that your God is weak and your God can't save you. Not realizing that I have allowed this to happen because you guys have not acknowledged and honored me. So for the sake of my name, I'm about to do some things through your life and I'm about to bless you. And so. The first thing I want us to understand and write down is God wants to build a reputation for himself through the lives of his people. And this is important for us to understand that it's not just about us. 
God blessing us is not just about us. God saving us is not just about us. God wants everybody to know about his goodness. God is good. So regardless of how badly we've sinned, regardless of how badly we've messed up, God wants to display his goodness to the world through redeeming us, through restoring us. And that is why he even does it. So I want us all to understand how you live affects how people think about the God you serve. That was the challenge. God is saying, you guys are messing up my reputation. How you're living is affecting how people think about me. Because when you go out here and you just copy what everybody else is doing, how do I look when my own people prefer the world to me? We've been talking about all these things, right? We've been talking about sex, drugs, all these things. Man, how does God look when God's people are pursuing the dead things of the world over the life that he's offering and calling ourselves his people? We have to understand, man, that God wants to build a reputation for himself in other people's eyes through the lives of his people. So it's not always just about us. So when you call yourself a Christian, your life becomes evidence in the case for God in people's minds. It's just how it works. A lot of us, we want it to just be like, all right, man, my relationship is my relationship. How I deal with God is how I deal with God. I've heard that so many times. Yeah, man, it's just, you know, it's between me and God. God understands me. God knows my heart. God knew their heart, and he was very displeased. (laughs) So I want us to examine this because it's what God is looking at. In fact, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, so we can go New Testament, says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. What he's saying here is, first of all, to be praying for everyone. This is God's desire. Why? Because God wants everyone to be saved. And he says, God wants our lives to be peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified in every way. This brings him glory. I want to ask a quick question. Let's take inventory. How are you doing with that? It's my Pastor Dennis question. How are y'all doing with that? Is your life peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified in every way? He says that he wants us to live that way because he desires for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And this further proves the case that how we live affects how people view God. When we're praying for people and we're living godly lives, God uses that to bring people to him. But when we're not doing those things, we're not leading people to him. Amen? You guys following? But that's just the setup. 
That's the setup. That's God explaining why he's about to do this. Why he's even endeavoring to, to help Israel out. And if, if you haven't seen yourself in this story yet, let me catch you up. What's happening here is just like Samson, who was straying. Remember, we're, we're looking at the difference between Samson and David. This is, this is the journey of all of our lives. We go from living like Samson. The Bible says that no person is without sin. And if we think that we've never sinned, we're just deceived. But all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So all of us have lived like Samson. But in order to get to a place where we're pursuing intimacy with God, where we're blessed by God, where we have this close relationship with God, there's something that has to happen. God wants it to happen. He's going to get glory when it happens. He's going to get people saved when it happens. It's not just about us in terms of the reason why it's happening. But here's, here's what he wants to do. This is what he said he was about to do. This is the method by which he was doing it. He said, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He's saying, I am going to take you from this life. I am going to wash you clean. I'm going to cleanse you. You can't just do it on your own, but I am going to help you. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. He's saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to wash you clean. I'm going to help you make this journey. Every single person who wants to go and start avoiding the dead places, who wants to stop going to places that won't bring them fulfillment, who wants to stop worshiping things that they don't need to be worshiping, who wants to stop following the things they don't need to be following. And every person who wants to follow me, I'm going to help you. And I'm not only, I'm not going to do it because you deserve it, because you've been rebellious. You've turned your face away from me. You haven't desired me. And it's not because you deserve it, but I love you. And I care about my own reputation. I want every Everybody to know how good I am. And so I'm going to wash you clean and cleanse you. And I am going to do it. And so we need to understand that salvation and purification are by God's grace alone. And I'm going somewhere with it. This is still just the setup, but I need you guys to track with me because these are things that we have to understand. Salvation and purification are by grace alone. Only God can do it. Here's why we need to understand that. Because if we think that we can start walking down this road on our own, we'll get prideful. If we think that we can become this this David-like person on our own, where we become prideful or we become deceived, 
When you think that you can do it on your own and just based in your own efforts, you are either going to live defeated or you're going to be delusional because you're either going to see that you can't and you're going to live every day seeing how short you come up, how you actually can't meet the standard of God on your own, how you actually can't wash yourself clean. You can't change your mind. You can't transform yourself. You can be defeated or you can get prideful and delusional and actually think that you're better than you are. That's how the Pharisees got. This is how we get Christians who are more like the Pharisees who hated Jesus than like Jesus himself. Because the Pharisees had it all together. They knew the whole scriptures. They knew everything, but they couldn't recognize God when he was standing in their face. But they were so proud of all the things that they did. They were so proud of all the ways that they could pray, of all the, all the authority that they had, of all the status that they had, of the respect they had of the people. But they were so far from the heart of God. And if we don't understand that it's just God's grace, we don't deserve it and we can't do it on our own. If we don't understand that, we won't actually ever get to the right place. We have to understand this. We can't walk around with this mentality of thinking, man, we can just clean up our lives on our own. Some of you guys, man, have heard this series and you're like, you know what? I have been walking up to these dead places like Samson was. I have been given into Delilah and these spiritual attacks. But you know what? I'm going to do better. And I want you to just wait a second. And I want you to get this key. Because if you don't understand this, it's not going to go the way that you want it to go. But if you get this, what God is promising is definitely going to happen. And so we have to understand these things. How, we need to look at how many times God takes ownership of the process. I want us to put it up on the screen. He says, I am going to do these things. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. Some of you guys have been wondering, how is this going to happen? I can't even imagine it. I can't even picture it. How am I going to change? God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful. I will increase the fruit of the tree in the crops of the field. He's going to do it. Somebody watching online needs to know God's going to do it. God is going to do it. Only he can do it, and he's promising that he will do it. But here's the key. I've been saying there's a key. Here's the key to actually getting different results in your life. Here's the key to going from being like Samson to being like David. Here's the key to going from just the intensity of sin to intimacy with God. It's in verse 26 through 27. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I mentioned that the title of the message is Guard Your Heart because God's going to give you a new heart, but you have to guard it. What does he mean when he says heart? A lot of us, as I mentioned earlier, that we, we think it's romantic. We think it's like, oh, I heart you, right? Like we, we view the heart as the romantic love. I'm going to give you a new way of loving me, which is not all the way false, but... This was written in a particular language 
So it was communicated in a particular way that we need to understand. It was written in Hebrew, and this Hebrew word heart was the word leb, and it means inner man, your inner man, your mind, and your will. God's saying, I'm going to give you a new inner man. Like the person inside you, I'm going to just give you a whole new one. We're going to get rid of it, and we're going to start fresh. That's why Jesus said, if anyone's going to enter the kingdom, they have to be born again. He says that anyone who is, in new, who is in Christ is a new creation. Something new has to happen on the inside of you. Your inner man has to be changed. And we've talked about Samson. We've talked about David. But in between those two, there's somebody who I want us to look at tonight. It's a man named Saul. Three years after Samson died, Saul was born. And in between, the last, the last judge of Israel between, before Saul became king of Israel, the last, after Samson, the last judge of Israel was a prophet named Samuel. And when Samuel, Samuel was a, a strong prophet, he was a great leader, but he had sons and his sons didn't have good hearts. They didn't have high character. And so people are like, Samuel, we love you. But who's going to take over? Because your sons are terrible. We want a king. We need a king. Samson was going crazy. Now we've had, we've had some good leadership. But you know what? Like all the other nations around us, they have a king. We don't have a king. So Samuel goes to God and he's like, man, the Israelites are asking for a king. Don't they know that you're the king? Don't they realize that you're our king? And God's like, they don't realize this. Um, And they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. They're not just rejecting your sons, they're rejecting me. They don't want to establish me on the throne of their hearts. They want to be like everybody else. They don't want to let me reign. So we're going to give them a king. And God chooses a man named Saul to be king. And so we see in 1 Samuel 10, verse 1, it says, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Skip down to verse 9. It says, As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's what? Heart. And all these things were fulfilled that day. So, when Samuel told Saul that he was going to be king, he's actually, he was like, so some things are about to happen, and God's actually going to make you into a whole new person for what he's calling you to do. And I want you guys to know that that really is the means by which God gets anything done through your life. That's what we have to understand, that if we want to go from Samson to David, we need a heart change. We need to be changed on the inside. It's not just about works. God has to change who we are. And he will change who we are. And so if you are still the same person from the day you got saved to now, there's something, there's something missing. And I would question, have you given yourself to Jesus for real? Because God will give you a new heart. When God invites you into the kingdom, when God calls you and establishes you in, in purpose, offers you salvation, he says, this is this is guaranteed. I will give you a new heart. I'll put my spirit within you, and I'll, I'll give you the ability to even follow my commands. 
But here's where things got messy for Saul. Saul got a new heart. But if any of us know the story of Saul, things, things started off really strong for him. He started off phenomenal. Taking territory, winning battles, doing exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. And then something happened. He was tested. Given the opportunity to not follow what God had ordained. So God had separated what kings do and what priests do. And there was a time when they were about to go into battle and some sacrifices needed to be made and they needed an answer from God and Samuel hadn't gotten there yet. Samuel was the one who makes the sacrifices. Kings don't do that. But Saul, because he had gotten comfortable, you know, he started off not even being qualified. Then he got comfortable. He started off with needing to be a whole new person to even do what God was calling him to do. Not having the qualifications, not having the abilities, not being the strongest leader. God changes his heart, gives him the ability to do what he's calling him to do. But something happened along the way where he's, he's tempted and in order to get things faster, more convenient, he felt like he could just take things into his own hands and disobey the order that God had established. And actually, it was something that was popular in other nations, you know, the, the same nations that God told them over and over and over again not to copy. Kings could make sacrifices because kings could act as priests in other nations. But in Israel, God separated the two. Kings are not priests. So what did Saul do? He acted as priest that day. He made the sacrifices. And Samuel shows up and he's like, what have you done? What made you feel like you could just disobey God like that? What made you think that you could just take things into your own hands? What happened in your heart that made you posture yourself this way? And here's, here's what I learned, because I was asking, as I was putting together the message, I was really asking God, okay, God, we're talking about getting a new heart. We see you gave Saul a new heart, but then things turned out bad for him. Like, what happened? And this is what he gave me. A new heart gives us the ability to follow God, but not immunity from temptation. God gives you a new heart. He'll make you a new person. And that is what even gives you the ability to follow him and the ability to walk this life out, the ability to stay away from the things you don't need to be around, the ability to say, you know what, I'm not going to live like the world around me, the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to break free from this addiction, the ability to say, man, I'm going to live pure. I'm going to live radically committed to God. And that new heart gives us the ability to do it, but it doesn't make us immune from temptation. We all have to navigate temptation. And this is why our heart, the heart that God gives us has to be managed and protected. Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Another translation says, from it flow all the issues of life. Everything that happens in your life starts in your heart. It starts in your inner man, who you are on the inside. 
And God wants to shift that. God will change that. Some of you guys are in here and you haven't been walking with Jesus. And I'm telling you that God can actually and has to change who you are on the inside for you to actually live a different life. And he's willing to do it. And some of us have experienced that. But now where where we're at is this place right here where we have to watch over it with all diligence. We have to guard it with vigilance. We have to guard it in a committed way. We have to guard it intensely. Because if we don't, then everything that's flowing from it is going to be toxic. When we don't guard it and keep it pure, we don't guard it and keep it godly, we don't guard it and keep it holy, we let just anything in and influence us and affect us, it starts affecting every area of your life. And then it's going to be very difficult for you to stay away from what you wanted to stay away from. And you wonder how you get back into the same place. It's because something is going unguarded in your life. And I think for young adults, though, the, the thing that goes most unguarded is our ears and our eyes. What you're listening to and what you're watching. Oh, man, how, how crazy it is. Like, no matter what you hear tonight, man, you can go open your phone and all that just whoop goes out the window by seeing one thing, one image. Hearing the wrong thing. Some of you guys are just going to go listen to whatever you listen to. And wonder how you're acting like the old you that God said he changed. And then you're like, man, how do I keep acting like this old person? It's because something's not being guarded. Your heart is not being guarded. Your, your heart, God gives you a, a new heart, but you have to guard it. So if you want a heart that actually desires purity, if you want to know, man, how am I going to live life not having sex? That has to be guarded. And it's so sensitive because we have triggers. So we have to watch over ourselves with all diligence. We can't we just can't watch what some people are watching. We can't listen to what some people are listening to. You might hear one song that just sets you on the wrong path. And so I have to watch over myself with all diligence. If I actually want this, if I want to live like Samson, if I want to go out bad, then I can continue what I'm doing. But if I actually want to get to this place where I'm firmly established, where God has blessed me, where God does all the things that he says he wants to do in the lives of Israel, which is just a foreshadow of what he wants to do for all of his people. If I'm going to live a life where God actually gets a good reputation through my life like he wants to and is able to show his glory through my life, if that's actually going to happen, I've got to do some things differently. And I've got to watch over my heart, my inner person, my mind and my will with diligence. Because this world is sending me nothing but lies. And your inner man will become like what you are feeding it. Amen. So Saul ultimately didn't guard what was entrusted to him. So God had to choose another king who he could trust. God gave him a new heart, but he didn't guard it. And he's like, well, from this heart flow everything. And so it starts here. It starts with you, you know, rebelling against this sacrifice thing. But before long, this is going to get real crazy. So I already know now because you will you're refusing to guard what I've given you. I'm going to have to put somebody else in leadership. And who God chose when he chose David, it wasn't for reasons that we might think. 
In fact, Samuel is sent to anoint David as king. God is like, I've chosen somebody. Stop mourning over Saul. I've refused him. He made his decisions. I need somebody who can actually faithfully steward what I've given them. And if he doesn't understand the blessing that is in his hands, if he doesn't understand the blessing in my purpose, if he doesn't understand the blessing in my anointing, that's not my fault. It's his decision. And I've got to put somebody else in this position who's going to carry it with faithfulness. And so if you don't understand what God has given you, then you can't faithfully steward it. And you can't operate it with integrity. And God can, it just puts a lid on what God is able to do in your life. And then you'll be looking around, wondering, why is this person getting this? Why is that person getting this? I've got this. I've got this degree. I've got these skills. I've got these talents. And God is like, but I'm looking at your heart. And yeah, this person might not be as gifted as you, but I can actually trust them. They care about me. They love me. I'm looking at the heart. And Samuel is going to anoint David, but he doesn't know who it is. God is just sending him and says, man, it's a guy named Jesse who has a son who I've chosen as the king. And when Samuel gets there, he sees David's brother, Eliab. And apparently Eliab just looked like a king. And Samuel is like, surely this is the king. And this is what God says to him. First Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. Because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It doesn't matter, Eliab. Eliab, it doesn't matter how well you're dressed. It doesn't matter how well you can speak. It doesn't matter how many skills, how many degrees, how many things you think you're good at. You can't be the king because I'm looking at something deeper. I see who you are inside. And that hasn't changed. And because that hasn't changed and because that hasn't been guarded, this I can't give to you. But I have found somebody. And it's your little brother who everybody has ignored, who hasn't even been invited to the party. He's still out in the pasture singing to me, writing the Psalms. Come on. Your private life. Your private life. Your private life, your private life. Somebody needs to understand this. Your private life is what God is looking at. Your private life. God's saying, I don't see how man sees. I'm not even counting the things that you're counting. You looked at Eliab and really thought he was king. And you're, you're the prophet. You don't see it. I'm looking at the heart. And David understood something that apparently a lot of other people were having a hard time getting. And it was this one key that gave him such phenomenal significance in human history. I mean, who has a story like David except for Jesus? Like Jesus is the greater David. But man, David, even though he messed up, Boy, his life is hard to match up to. And he understood something. And we see it in Psalm 1914. David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my what? Heart 
Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. He said, let what I'm thinking about on the inside be pleasing to you, be acceptable to you. Let who I am on the inside be pleasing to you, God. And God saw that. And so in a world full of Saul's, God is looking for somebody who cares about that. And we want purpose. We want significance. We want purity. We want all these things, man. God just wants commitment. That's where it starts. Somebody who's going to say, man, God, I want what you have for me, and I'm actually willing to guard it. God is looking at hearts. It's all through scripture. I want to read a few scriptures that talk about the Lord looking at hearts. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking through the whole earth for what? Hearts. Somebody who's committed to him. He's looking around saying, man, I need somebody who actually cares. Somebody who on the inside is thinking about me, meditating on me, thinking about my greatness, wanting to be closer to me. And that person I want to strengthen. But there's so many people who are just wanting to be great, who are just wanting to be seen. And my eyes just pass right over them. And then they're wondering, where is my promotion? Why am I not getting what everybody else seems to be getting? God's eyes are passing over your heart. Isaiah 29, 13 says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. There is nothing that's outside of God's perspective, outside of his sight. There's nothing going on on the inside that God doesn't see. And that's why it's so important. If we don't want to live like Samson, we got to give him the inside. We got to say, God, you can have my thoughts. I want to think like you think. I don't want to just look good on the outside. I don't want to just do the things that church people do. I don't want to just do like the Christianity that measures up pretty good for like what I see around me. But I'm also like like most of the meditations of my heart are really on things of the world. I'm just thinking about celebrities and influencers and movies and film and want to be around these people. And that's who I'm actually thinking about and caring about. No. God wants us to be thinking about him, to be thinking like him, to be desiring to be like him. And that's, those are the meditations of our heart that are pleasing in God's sight. There are some of you who God is so pleased with, and you think that because you're not you know, doing some big public thing that God is not impressed, that God is not pleased, but you think about the Lord. Man, you care about him. You pray when nobody's watching. You say no to some things that nobody even knows you're saying no to because you're thinking about the Lord. And God is looking for 
his people to be like that. In order to, he's, he's telling the Israelites, man, I'm going to bring you into the land. I'm going to do all these things for you. But what I have to do is I've got to put a new heart in you. But here's your part. You're going to have to guard it. All right. All right, let's keep going. Write this down. Your heart is the tree that the fruit of your life grows from. Your heart is the tree that the fruit in your life grows from. Your heart is the tree that the fruit in your life grows from. So if you want different fruit, it's a heart issue, heart examination. But the good thing is God will do it. God will change your heart. He said, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a spirit within you. I will make, give you the desire to even obey me and to follow my decrees. I'm going to give you new perspective. And the good thing is, even when we've walked away from that, even when we've gotten away from that, even when we're starting to see different fruit in our lives, that's why repentance is a gift from God. We have the opportunity to come back to him and say, you know what, God, things have been getting messed up in here. Things have been getting dirty and toxic in here. And in here, my inner man is looking way more like the world around me than it is like my savior. And I need your cleansing. And I know you said these things. You said that you will sprinkle clean water on me and you will cleanse me from all my impurities and from all my idols. You will give me a new heart and put a new spirit in me. You will remove from me my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. You'll put your spirit in me and move me to follow your decrees and be careful to keep your laws. You'll be my God. You'll save me from all of my uncleanness. We can return. And then what we do when we get there is we guard our heart. And so I want to give us just a few things for how to guard our heart. One, forgive. You want to guard your inner man? Forgive. Matthew 6, 14 through 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let me tell you, offense is a heart attack. Offense is a heart attack. It is an attack against your heart. And it will keep you from right standing with God. How many of us want to be forgiven by God? It's so hard to forgive other people, though. It's so because there are just things, man, that it's so hard to forgive. But God is saying that he can do it. He can help us. He can wash us clean. Anything that we're needing, he can help us do it. But we've got to be willing and we've got to say, God, I want to forgive. And I'm going to give my inner man, I'm going to give my mind, and I'm going to give my desires to you. The second thing is do not envy. This is one thing that I see, oh man, affecting so many hearts. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And man, there are so many Christians jealous of the people around them. And it's rotting them. And they're wondering why their lives are not abundant, why they're not seeing the blessing of God, where they're not seeing 
the fruit of the trees increase and the crops of the ground increase. And they're not seeing them be restored and changed and like Christ. And the, and the more they see their life is staying stagnant and then the more they see other people growing and elevating and all these things, the more jealous they get because their perspective is off and they're not able to see that it's a heart issue. What you're seeing around you that you're jealous of is a heart thing. Saul became so jealous of David, but he couldn't do anything about it. God had anointed David as king, and David stayed humble. David repeatedly forgave Saul. Saul was throwing spears at David. Saul was sending armies against David. So you're talking about, I mean, somebody who really had to learn to depend on God. David was on the run for his life for no reason except for the fact that God had chosen him. And yet he's the person saying, man, let let what I'm thinking on the inside be pleasing to you, God, even in the midst of this. And Saul is so jealous, hating him, wanting to see him destroyed because he wouldn't guard his heart. And he's hating to see what's happening for David who's guarding his. And that's the only difference. Is Saul, you were, you were king. You were called first. What did, you, what did you not have? You had everything. And you wouldn't guard your heart. But now you're jealous of what God is doing in the life of somebody who's just submitted to him. And I truly believe, man, Saul never repented. If Saul would have just turned back to God, God would have received him. He may not have, it might not have changed that David would become king, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't live a life of purpose and fulfillment, of peace. But Saul died bad, in shame, suicide, because of an unrepentant heart, an unguarded heart, and he never got it. And so it's so important, man, that we don't let offense or envy take away what God wants for our lives. Jesus Christ himself on the cross being crucified says about the people crucifying him, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's a guarded heart. My goodness. Three, study the word of God. You want to guard your heart? Study the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We have to study the word of God because it actually judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So if we want to guard it, God will bring things to the surface and get our hearts in line when we study his word. And the word of God is a weapon with which you can defend your heart. It says the word of God is like a sword. You want to guard your heart? Keep the word. The last thing is prayer. And as we close, I want us to really understand this. There's a psalm, Psalm 51, 
David prays to the Lord about his heart. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This is the heart posture. This is the key. If we want to live a different type of life, if we want to stay away from dead places and dead things, if we want to stay pure, if we want to actually get to know God, we want to live out the purposes and plans for our life. We want to see God bless our lives and restore us and increase us. This is where it starts. This prayer, create in me a pure heart. This is what we need, a pure heart. And this needs to be our prayer. This is the last piece. It's prayer, man. You forgive. You do not envy. You study the word of God. And this is not a comprehensive study on it. These are a few of the points. But your prayer life is so important. And so the band is about to come out. And we're about to just take a moment to worship, to pray this prayer. God, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart. Give me purity in my heart. Cleanse me on the inside. Who I am on the inside, God. I want to be more like you. I want to be connected to you. I want to live out the full plan for my life. I don't want half of what you've got for me. I don't want to go out like Samson. I don't want to go out like Saul. I want the fullness of what you have for me. I want life. I want legacy. I want you to be able to get glory through my life. I want you to build a reputation for yourself through my life. Does anybody want that? You guys will stand to your feet. I want to pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for all of your children in here, God. Lord, we want more of you. Create in us a clean heart, God. Make us new, refresh us, restore us, cleanse us. You said you're faithful to do it. You'll sprinkle clean water on us, Lord, and you'll cleanse us. You'll save us and rescue us from all of our uncleanness. So, Lord, as we worship you, Father, I I pray that this is the desire and the cry of our hearts, each and every one of us, God, for you to renew our spirit, renew a steadfast spirit in us, Lord, a spirit that can endure the challenges of life and continue to desire you and go after you. Lord, have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Hey, thank you for listening. We're so glad to have you as a part of our community. If you want to get connected any further, please visit fusionatl.org. You can get plugged into a small group there, and you can also send in a prayer request so that we can pray for you. Once again, thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Fusion ATL.